I've got this idea, Jake and I, it's called the baby money soldiers. And people may think, what's a baby money soldier? Just take a dollar bill out of your pocket. There's a dollar bill. That's a baby money soldier. Every dollar that comes into your life is a baby money soldier. How you allocate and how you use that baby money soldier will determine how wealthy you become. Hey there, we're here to put you on the path to a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. I'm Pollock. And this is Needy. Thanks for joining us. Great to have you here. Today's guest is Gino Barbaro. He's an investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, he's grown his real estate portfolio to over 2,000 multifamily units and $280 million in assets under management. He's a best-selling author of many books, including Wheelbarrow Profits, The Honey Bee, and Family, Food, and the Frayers. He currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida with his beautiful wife, Julia, and their six children. We're so excited to get started. So let's go to the show, Gino. We're so excited to have you today. Repeat, people. How are we doing? I had such a great conversation on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it's an honor and a privilege to come on your show. So thanks for inviting me. I appreciate that. So glad to have you. So so good to have you, Gino. Really looking forward to this conversation. So. Right. So let's get started. So maybe... The first thing we start with is tell us how you got started with real estate. Like what was that light bulb moment that one day you decided, okay, it's going to be real estate? If you give me a minute or two, I'd like to go into my background just to share my background, my personal story. Because I think when people see Jake and Gino, they see we have 2,000 units. They say, I can't do that. I can't buy in this part of the market. And I'm here to tell you, I'm the pizza guy and Jake is the drug rep. We weren't even in real estate. Until we met in 2009, I had done a few deals by myself prior. I am the son of two immigrants. Both of my parents were from Italy. So I grew up with the mindset of having a small business. I opened the restaurant in 1994 and I had that restaurant for almost 20 years. But I had that mindset of save, save, save for the rainy day. You can't get too big. And then 2008 comes and well, okay, I saved. What am I going to do? My father passed away. The restaurant's doing get slower. Construction guys ain't coming in to eat. I- I'm suffering here. And I read the book, T. Harv Ecker's book, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And I'm like, I'm living in a scarcity mindset. I'm blaming everybody else. It's my fault for not being where I want to be. I didn't have the skills back in 2008. I didn't know about investing in multifamily. I didn't been investing in other asset classes. I was just winging it. I said, hey, this looks like a great deal. And many of you listening to this are going, I'm looking for deals. I didn't know what a deal was. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So in 2008, I said, I'm going to start investing in my education. Back then, I was spending money for my education. Now I look at it and say, I'm investing in myself. Fortunately, I was doing that. And I met Jake in 2009. He was a pharmaceutical sales rep coming to the restaurant and taking food out of the restaurant and bringing it to doctor's offices and and, selling pharmaceuticals to them. And we had Struck this great relationship. And I know you want to touch on values-based decision-making, but I knew when I met Jake, it, Jake was the one. You know, he's the one. Uh, you know, so I was like, huh? I found the right partner. I just said to myself, young guy, coachable, works his butt off, always prepared, wants to have a family, just really aligns with me. And when he moved to Knoxville in 2011, I'm like, Jake, I'm looking at LoopNet online. There's some deals down here. I was in New York. We partnered up in 2011. It took us 18 months to find that first deal. No, we didn't get in overnight success. And I still had the education. And remember, everybody, back then, there were different challenges than there are now. 
There were tons of deals. Go look that. You find deals everywhere, but there's no capital. You can't finance the deals. Rents were terrible. And it took us 18 months because we didn't have that framework, buy right, manage right, finance right, but we figured it out. And after 18 months, we got our first deal, a 25 unit deal. Three months later, we got a 36 unit. And then six months later, we got 136 units. So we were off to the races, but wasn't an overnight success, was not in real estate. All I knew is that I had six kids. I had a lot of mouths to feed. And all I kept hearing was lots of weddings, lots of colleges, and I got to retire. And how am I going to do that with one stream of revenue? It ain't happening. So I felt desperate. And at that time, probably looking back, the best time to get into real estate, but everyone's saying, you're crazy, you're risky, this is not the right time. Very similar to what's going on right now. Everyone's saying the same thing right now. So this market cycle very soon is going to shift into back what we saw back in 08, 09. Some, some similarities, some differences, but we're going to be going back into a virus market cycle. Amazing. And I love that. You know, uh, and especially what you touched on, which is, you know, growing up, uh, you know, we're, we're immigrants too, so totally relate with that sort of lesson that we're always taught of like, just save, follow the traditional route, and then somehow that saved money will magically create wealth and it doesn't. Right? right. You have to do something with it. You have to buy assets. And I think that is such a big realization to have. And 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 sometimes people have that realization, Gino, to your point, but there's so many people around them that that are that kind of trying to scare you, right? Like the uh, everything that you look at these days, social media, people who haven't done it before, they're like, hey, this is difficult. Are you sure you want to do this? Like what do you tell people, you know, somebody who's starting out how do you how do you drown out the noise? That's a difficult question. What I would say to everybody listening, the first thing I would do is if you're struggling with money, it's not the money. It's an inner block. And I learned that this, this weekend as well. If you're out in the marketplace and you're selling your services, and let's say you're doing a coaching program, and coaching programs, let's say are $500 per hour, and you're charging $200 per hour, there's a block. You're limiting yourself because you're afraid of charging where the market is. Oh, you're actually saying it to yourself subconsciously, I'm not worth that 500. I'm only worth the 200. And I think we all have to check ourselves at the door to say, if the market is that, why am I undercutting myself? You need to read the book, The Psychology of Money, because you need to understand what your relationship with money is. I know what my relationship was, save, 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 until I understood save to buy an asset that will pay for the event instead of saving for the event. Because when that event is over, like my kid's college, I still own my first 25-unit property, throwing off cash flow to pay for the second child, and then to pay for the third child. I told you creating wealth, it's not really difficult. It, it, it's it's a pretty simple process, but it's not easy because there's some certain rules you got to follow. But I think if you don't understand the relationship that you have with money, and once you get it, you either spend it because it makes you feel good, there's an instant gratification, or you don't have that long-term mindset or that responsibility mindset, it's going to be a lot more difficult to be able to create wealth. And I had that thing where I love to save money. It made me feel comfortable. I had money in the bank, but with inflation right now and, and your purchasing power declining, it's pretty good to go out and get debt to buy assets and let those assets pay for your lifestyle and understanding that relationship with money and, and really diving deep. And what I'd say to the both of you also, look back at your childhood, go back when you were younger and see the, the blueprints that you've created in your mind, the paradigms that you've lived throughout and challenge them. Because I've become a life coach for the last 10 years. And when I look back at it, I'm like, wow, a lot of the things that happened years ago when I was a child, they're co they come into your adult life and you're doing these things unconsciously, whether it's spending money, whether it's eating food, whether, for instance, I'll give you a quick story. When I was five years old, I was with my grandmother 
and my grandmother didn't speak English. We go down to the five and 10 store and there's these toy soldiers and I'm five years old and I want them right then and there. And grandma says to me in Italian, tesoro, non, non li possiamo comprare. Basically, you know, it's honey, we can't buy them. There was no credit cards back then and she didn't have the money. And that always stuck in my mind. And I remember to this day walking back from the store saying, when your mom comes, we'll bring you back. I don't even remember if we went back to buy them, but that imprinted on my brain forever. And I was always struggling with every time I get an email, every time something happens, I need to get it done or else it's going to be lost forever. And, and that, that anxiety and that fear I had for years until I sat back and I said, where is that manifesting from? It was unconsciously all those years. But once I understood that, wow, I don't have to get everything done. It's not going anywhere. And go through your life as far as your fear, your anger, your stress, the way you spend money, the way you eat. Understand where that comes from. I'm not saying that anger is going to go away or fear is going to go away, but you being able to control that and to control your reaction because the stimulus comes, there's a response. How you respond to it makes all the difference in the world. And being able to have a conscious decision of being able to respond that way will change the way you live your life, at least in my opinion. Oh, that's that's so powerful. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, which is, you know, what you mentioned, Gino, of like everything that we've experienced since we were kids, whether it's a relationship with our parents' relationships, because there we inherit a lot of those relationships, right, with uh, our parents' relationship with money, how they view the world, how they view wealth. And uh, a lot of times we're not taught the game or you know how to play it and so we have to work very hard to break those generational cycles right it takes so much work and so much introspection to really understand when we say we're afraid or when we say we don't want to take those risks those are all beliefs that we've inherited and it's important to step back at some point and question those beliefs and say okay is that the right belief to have and we you know we we talk we grew up with a lot of people are highly accomplished. And what I was learning was that being extremely accomplished and wanting to accomplish a lot is also a trauma response. And when you want to accomplish so much, you can really get into that scarcity mindset of like, hey, I need to answer that email right now. I need to pay that bill right now. I need to get it done right now. Otherwise, something bad is going to happen, right? It triggers that trauma response from our childhood. And some of it is good because it challenges us to go forward, but some of it doesn't serve us when we want to pursue growth. So I love that. And by the way, Psychology of Money, my favorite book. That's one of my favorite So let me, let me, what you said is, is so powerful. But what I would also say to people is we have to do the work. And, and ironically enough, this is the Wealth Blueprint Podcast. We haven't talked about money yet, investing, multifamily, because that's just so secondary. Let's work on the primary goals. And, and the two of you, are too worth it not to be able to work on yourself because the work is hard, but not doing the work is even harder, is even worse. That That's what I think people don't understand. They don't understand their emotions. Just sit with it for a little while. Do the work. Understand what's going on in your life and success, accomplish success. And I think the last thing I'd like to say is that word trauma. People attribute that with something happening that's really bad. It doesn't have to be a really bad trauma. It could be a smaller trauma. It could be like my grandmother. I didn't lose a limb. I didn't go hungry. It was just an emotion and something that happened to me that really completely affected my life and understanding that that happened then. And I'm going to be honest, I've got six kids. I love my kids. I know I'm going to screw them up. There's just I, I'm creating their own trauma <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing that I can do about it. I can be the best parent in the world, but they're going to perceive certain things the way they do it. So as a parent, you try to do your best, but just understand my parents screwed me up 
I'm going to screw my kids up. And hopefully my kids will be able to screw their kids up. (laughs) And one uh, mindset coach once told me that I have this thing like, oh, my God, like, what if I don't do it exactly right? And this mindset coach years ago said that it's not about whether you screw up your kids or not. It's how much we screw up our kids. That's the real question. (laughs) I like that. Focus on that and you'll be good. So that's what what I was told. And I've I've lived by that. So what's the next question you want to talk about? Again, I'll get to real estate in a minute. But uh, Gina, this is awesome. Okay, so so what are the three pillars? I know you talk about this, Gina, which is when you think of real estate, what are sort of the three key pillars that you think of? Similar to you, we've created a process. And I think most investors, when they start, they don't have processes. They don't have systems. We've got a couple of different processes. Of one we can focus on right now. And I think this, this goes across all different genres, whether you're in multifamily, whether you're even buying a business. I had Walker Dybul, Buy Them Bill on my podcast. He's the acquisition entrepreneur. And as I'm walking through it, I'm like, wow, you can buy a business with this. It's very simple. The first pillar is buy right. The second pillar is finance right. And the third pillar is managed right. Jake is sitting out on his lawn about 10 years ago. And he loves to cut grass. He's a chainsaw guy. And he sees a wheelbarrow there. And it's tipped over. And the three legs, he's like, wow, the two back legs are the buy right and the finance right. If they're not stable with that wheelbarrow, which is the wheel, which is the manager right portion, if those three aren't stable, one of them three is not proper. Guess what? The wheelbarrow is going to tip over. And you're seeing it right now with the finance portion. All of these investors went out there, got shorter term debt. They didn't get the finance right in place. They didn't get that fixed rate, long term debt financing. One of those pillars is not working. They'd be managing the property right. They have might have bought it at the right price, but that finance right is not working. Guess what? And very similar to the managed right, you may have bought the asset really well. You may have financed it well, but it's like a baby. You have to manage it. It's all about the systems. It's all about taking care of that child and raising the child. So if you don't have all three of those working, you're going to have an asset that's 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 going to have that's going to have issues that's going to have problems and when you're buying a business very same thing you're going to buy it there's a certain price how you finance it also but once you buy the business either you have to manage it or you get third party property management somebody has to tend to the business that's fantastic i i love that framework because there is when you were a new investor or when you're investing no matter what your strategy in multifamily for instance there's just so many things that can overwhelm you. They're like, hey, how do I think of these things? But if you're like, okay, if I do these three things right, it's always like, what are the 20% of the things that you can do that can give you 80% of the results? Yes. I would say when you break it down, it's much more complex. I don't want to say complex, but in the buy right bucket, there's certain things you need to do when you buy an asset. You need to set, you have your buy right criteria. In the finance right, there's certain criteria and it's evolving. So the other one that I shouldn't have brought up, but, I, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, we have what we call the three pillars of real estate. Because that really coincides really well with the three-step framework. And the three pillars of real estate are market cycle, their debt, and their exit strategy. So when you're buying a deal, what is your exit strategy? That was the big mistake that Jake and I made and myself early on. Are you going to buy this deal to hold long-term? Are you going to flip this deal? What does that look like? Because if you don't know that, then what kind of debt are you going to get? If you're flipping a deal in two years, you're going to get shorter term financing, maybe loan to cost, maybe work with a credit union. But if it's longer term and it's an exit strategy where you're going to refi it out, you know the kind of debt you're going to get. Right. And the important part with the market cycle, which will throw everything, you have to understand what part of the market cycle you're in. When we started buying assets in 2012 and 2013, 
the quote unquote C properties, those older assets were trading at a big discount to the B properties. So, you know, you had that wave of four or five or six years where you could buy the C properties, fix them up and flip them. Or what we did is we refinanced them out. Now, the last couple of years, the C properties, the value add, the material guards, those prices have gone up. They're older. They need a lot more work. Why would you buy a 1960s build when you can buy a 1990s build for very similar price points? So we started shifting and buying newer assets, but understanding where you are in the market cycle will help you build your criteria. And as you know, nothing is static in life. Everything continues to change as you go out from going from the buyer from the buy, buying cycle to a seller's market. Now we're going back to the buyer's market right now. So it's going, there's a ton of opportunity. There's always opportunity in real estate. You can always buy, you can't always sell, but you have to understand what part of the cycle you're in, what your exit strategy is, and then try to have these all of these three frameworks, the buy, the manage, and the finance in place. And I think to me, that will mitigate your risk. Having those frameworks will really help out investors when they're starting out with. They'll, they'll at least know what a deal is for them. They'll at least know when to buy the deal, what the price points are, where the market is, and un ultimately what your exit strategy is, what you're trying to accomplish with this deal. Because most people don't even have that concept. Do you want to refi the deal, pull the money out, or do you want to sell it and put that equity into another deal? Right. And we always tell people like, what's, what's your real estate investing strategy? Without knowing that, people will bring a deal and we'll be like, wait, but what do you really want to do? Decide that first. And that that's going to define whether that deal works for you or not. It may be right for somebody else, but not for you, depending on what you want to what you want to do with it. So then the next topic that I'd love to talk about is you talk a lot about values based decision making. What does that mean? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I met a partner a couple of years ago and we started another business and this gentleman was a few years older than me. And we had known it intuitively because when I had my restaurant, I had one restaurant for 20 years. And every time something went wrong with the restaurant, the employees were no good. The business model wasn't working. One thing that stuck out was I had no values. I had no core values and I had no mission statement. And for Jake and myself, when we started out, we intuitively aligned really well with our values. And what happened was at about 500 units, it was really hard to scale. It was difficult to scale. We need to get scaling up coaches. The first thing we did is we really selected our core values for what our, what our organization wanted to be, how we wanted to live our daily lives and how we wanted to lead and that mission statement. And that was lacking at the restaurant. I couldn't scale because I didn't have those core values. And it may seem simplistic, but if you don't know what your values are and what you stand for, how are you going to position? How are you going to message? How are you going to inspire and lead? And I didn't have that at the restaurant. Every time there's a problem, oh, wrong employee, maybe wrong boss. I mean, not wrong employee. It may be the wrong employee, but I mean, how many times do I have to make a mistake with an employee when it may be the boss? So we created our core values back in 2017. And very simple. It's not a marketing slogan. They're people first, make it happen, extreme ownership, unwavering ethics, and growth mindset. Those are our five. And we try to live by those. And, and I try to lead by example. When there's an issue with one of our investors or one of our education students, we try to put the people first. Do we always succeed? No, but we're going to take extreme ownership if that doesn't happen. And you know, values-based decision-making on a personal level, what I would say to everybody is, when is the last time you really sat down and wrote down your values? I mean, when's the last time? I'm, I'm telling you, if you're not into personal development, the answer is probably 90% of the people listening or do not do that. And I don't blame them because we're not taught that. You write down your values, see what your values are. Everyone's values are different. Is it fun? 
Is it integrity? Is it hard work ethic? Whatever that may be. And then all of a sudden you start aligning that with what your goals are. And if they're not really in alignment with your goals and and you're making decisions based on, I need to be successful because an Instagram follower told me to do this to gain 100,000 followers, but I don't really like that. Well, I can be successful, but I'm going to be happy. And that's the problem. And I'll give you a quick example. When I started Jake and Gino, I had been working at the restaurant every weekend. I worked on the weekends. I had been working during the holidays. I, I wanted to take weekends off and I wanted to be home with the family. And when I started, everyone's like, you need to be on the road. You need to go out to as many events as possible. You need to create this amazing brand. And I'm like, I don't want to do that because I'm not living in alignment with my values. My values are family and staying home and being there. But if I'm on the road every other weekend speaking at conferences and all, it may do really well with the brand. I may make another $50 million, but am I living in alignment with my true purpose and my true core values? No, I'm not. And that will actually tear me down and that will actually lead to me, I think, to disappointment in the long term. I may become successful, but my idea of success against my values is not in alignment. And that's what's going to cause the discord and disharmony. I will guarantee you, if you're listening to this, put your values down. And you know, if you're a hardworking person and you're that's one of your values, but then you get a job that you're not really doing anything, but you're making great money, well, great, you're going to be do good. But is that what you really strive? Is that what you achieve for? If you're a family person and you want to spend a little more time with the family, but you're always going away and you're always moving your family, uprooting them for the next corporate gig and the next pay raise, you're doing well financially and on the outside, but on the inside, check yourself. Is that killing you? Is that hurting you? And it always goes back to the values, in my opinion. I love that. And it's, it's you know, as you said, you know, it's not just these are your guiding principles for how you take decisions in your business, but they'll also, you can apply this to who you partner with. Right. Like if you're looking for a partner, like do your values align with them when you're trying to hire people for your team or when you try to work with different vendors that you're going to work yeah. with. So you can apply to so many different things. Great point. I'm so happy you said that because I forgot to say that. I had vendors coming to the restaurant. They were selling me fish. They were selling me produce. I had a bread guy. I didn't like him. I don't know why I didn't like him. He didn't align with my values. I couldn't understand. And it took me years to fire him. Now, if somebody doesn't align with that, I understand that more. And it's like, this is not a good fit. And it, it, with the vendors, especially when you're dealing with attorneys, when you're dealing with CPAs, I mean, listen, we have a deadline. I have investors. If you can't get the work done, you don't work with my alignment because it's really come people first. So that's an opportunity to say, are you aligned with the values I'm trying to create? We had a boot camp about two years ago. I'll never forget this. We had the Jake Gino students come on a bus. They were coming to look at one of our properties. We had 100 students. We get to the property, and I see Jake get off the bus. And I could tell what he's pissed. He was visibly pissed. I'm like, bro, what's up? He's like, they didn't come cut the grass. I told him to come Wednesday to cut the grass so when the students came, it would be manicured. Needless to say, that landscaping company was out Monday. He just absolutely fired them because they were supposed to be there on Wednesday. They didn't show up. They actually made the company look bad. And it was, a, it was a teaching lesson at the same time. And now I know it's been harder during COVID to actually do these kinds of things. But you are you know you're working with somebody. You don't like to work with them. It's not going to feel right long-term. Take the short-term pain for the long-term gain. Absolutely. Do you think that you having run a business prior to becoming an investor had a big impact on how you run your investing business? That's an amazing question. Yeah, I love that's a great question. Yeah, but when we when we work with people, I find that and and we both came from W2, right? So for us, 
to come from W2 and get into real estate investing, there was a different learning curve. We had to learn how to work with people and screen people and have them aligned by our values and make those decisions on how to work with people and you know who we wanted to work with. Um, and there was a learning curve to it. But we also work with business owners. And I find that when we talk to them about it and when we teach them how to pick their team and their vendors and their partners, it clicks very quickly because there is no learning curve on this. Do you, do you think that really helped you like skyrocket your uh, real estate investing journey? I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret on the <laughs> podcast. I think any kind of real estate investing is building a business. Has to and that, that's the reality. At Jake and Gino, we teach, we create multifamily entrepreneurs. Why are you investing in multifamily if you don't want to at least have some of You don't need to have 7,000 units, but at least learn how to scale and create systems. And I think when we're starting out in, in, any, in any venture, and whether it's buying single family homes, whether it's buying a little three unit, we're thinking about the real estate. We're not thinking bigger, right? Because we're, 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 we're coaching ourselves to the vision of our current problems, not to the vision that we can have. So all we're thinking about is today, three units, 10 units, 15 units, and we're stuck in the real estate being landlords. And listen, most of us need to start that way. And, and I started that way myself. But the bigger picture to me is, wow, I have the ability to invest my dollars into an asset that's going to appreciate, that's really a hard asset. And I can create a business and I can create multiple streams around that business. How amazing is that? So when you can wrap your mind around that you're investing in an asset that you can create a business around, you can scale it. We've we've got over 70 team members on, on our property management side of the business because we've hired property managers. We have maintenance assistants. We have maintenance techs. We have a CapEx team. And if you can understand from that perspective, when you first start out, every little deal you have is a little money machine. That first 25 unit deal Think of it from that perspective. It's a little multiple stream of revenue and you can create multiple streams of revenue from one deal, whether it's vending fees, late fees, rubs, all of these different uh, income generators from that one property. And then you start scaling up and you're able to bundle these assets together and being able to look at it from the lens of an, of a, of an investor. And I think the business owners have an, have an advantage. The three types of people I think that work really well in multifamily that we attract. And the first one is people who are doing single family homes. If you're already doing single family homes, you already understand real estate. You're like, I want to get into bigger deals. I think the second ones are people who are already doing small multifamilies and going, I want to scale up. I don't know how to because I've never been taught this scaling up. I've never been taught the systems. And I think the third one, you hit it on the head, is the small business owners, those entrepreneurs. And they're the ones who do really well in real estate because they understand, wow, if I look at this from the lens of a business, because I'm buying this business, I'm buying this real estate, I'm fixing it up, I'm adding value, and I can sell it down the road. That's what you do with the business. And with the with the business, you're managing cash flows, you're managing employees. It's the same thing with the real estate. So I think if you take at it from the lens that you ask that question, you will become so much more successful, so much quicker, and you'll you'll fall in love with real estate even more than what you did already. Because when I started buying these deals, I'm like, wow. We start adding more assets. We're starting to add more little cash machines and we're able to employ more people. And I'm able to do things that I want to do instead of doing the things that really don't pay me as much. Once you get that mindset, wow, things really start changing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just to just to kind of, you know, hammer in what you said, Gina. It's like when we first came into real estate, we saw so many people investing in real estate, but they were uh, acting as investors, right? rather than business owners. And so that's why when we first came in, we saw people being mom and pop investors. We said, no, you got to treat this like a business. 
if you're buying, you know, one property or one single family uh, a year, how do you go to buying five to 10 a year? Or if you're buying two duplexes, how do you buy like six duplexes? Or you buy a portfolio of assets? And I think that's where the scalability of, and again, you know, whatever strategy is, right? Like if you're, whether you're doing Burr, whether you're wholesaling, whether you're doing multifamily or Burr, like thinking of it like a business yeah, at the end of the day. huge impact. And we, we were fortunate that, you know, even our, in our W2 careers, we were on the business side. So it, it, we really came into it with this mindset. I feel like the learning curve is, is so much steeper when you haven't had exposure to the business side of things. And if that's you, I mean, focus on getting those skills and it, your trajectory may be a little bit slower, but it is so worth taking the time to build that solid foundation, build any investing strategy like a business. I think I learned one thing over this weekend. I told you I went to that event and I think I went to a, a growth event and the, the gentleman said, there are people who are B players playing on a C field. I think that's what's going on. A lot of people don't want to level up, don't want to join communities, don't want to go out there and learn because they're saying to themselves, oh, it's going to cost me too much money. It's costing you too much not to. Because yeah, yeah. once you start challenging yourself and once you start thinking differently and you know, start taking, stop taking information from Uncle Ed who said real estate's really, really expensive <laughs> and it's really risky. Yeah. I'm telling you, like I, I, yes. when I started investing with Jake, I didn't tell my mother that I was investing with Jake because I had made a couple of prior pretty bad deals. I had invested in a mobile home park that didn't go well. I invested in a strip center that didn't go well. So when I invested with Jake, I just didn't tell her because I didn't want the negativity. I didn't want her. And all she's trying to do and all your family's trying to do is they're just trying to protect you. They want the best for you. They don't know any better. So I didn't tell her anything. And one day when I had those 200 units, I sat down with her in the parking lot at the restaurant. I said, mom, I've got 200 units. And she looked at me flabbergasted because she would always say to me, you know, Gino, you've got six mouths to feed. You, you, you really take it, you know, take it easy. You know, we're not, we're not Steve Jobs. We're not Apple. You know, we're, we're the little guys. And when people, you constantly keep hearing that, that starts becoming part of your soul. But when I sat down with her, I said, mom, I've got 200 units, you know, one or two more deals. And I'm going to be leaving. And she was, she was, she goes, how'd you do it? You know, what did you do? I said, I just continue to buy these deals. I didn't tell anybody. I just put my head down. Every day you walk by to me and say, why are you working for lunch? Because I'd be working at the restaurant. My two to three was lunchtime, but I'd be working. And that's what it took for me to, to become successful is working a lot of hours and learning the business. And she'd always say to me, why are you working so hard? And I said, well, this is why I'm working hard because I'm building a real portfolio. I finally understand what it takes to invest in real estate and not just to buy real estate. Absolutely. And I think that's the story with so many people who invest in real estate because well-intentioned friends and family, they don't understand that taking risks has ups and downs. I always say like business is a game of snakes and ladders. Sometimes you step on a snake, sometimes you get a ladder and well-intentioned friends and family will hold you back because they haven't done it themselves, right? You can't take advice from people who haven't done it themselves, whether they mean well or not. And so, yeah, I, lo I love that you waited till 200 units and you're like, okay, I've done it already. It was just our third deal. And it's really important. I think another thing subconsciously is that if you have friends or family, subconsciously, they're saying to themselves, well, if Pollock and Nitty become successful, they're not going to love me. They're going to grow out of my sphere of influence. I'm not going to connect with them. And then all of a sudden I'm losing them. So they don't matter, even know they're doing it. So I don't want to say they're self-sabotaging you, but they just can't see you growing and then you're leaving them and then you're working your personal growth and personal development and they're stuck so you have one of two things you can do you can bring them with you hey this is what i'm doing follow me 
or you just stay cordial. You don't, you know, you let them know, like with my mother, she still didn't figure out what I did up until a couple of years ago. I'm like, I'm buying multifamily. She took her forever. But one quote I like to share with everybody, because you said fear and all. I think the problem with fear is I don't think fear ever ultimately goes away. But what I think we're afraid of is I think we're not afraid of change. We're afraid of not being prepared for change. And I think people who aren't comfortable with what's going on in the market right now, they're not really prepared. They don't have the relationships. They don't have the investors. They don't have their business plan. They don't have the education. So they don't, they don't been able to, be, to prepare for what's ha- going to happen in the future. And I think that's what's happening. So don't be afraid just to be afraid. Understand what, why that fear is showing up and try to do as much as possible to prepare for the change. Because right now, these next 12 to 24 months, there's going to be some buying opportunities. Now, if you don't have to sell real estate, you're okay. But if you've got to sell real estate, you're going you're, you're gonna to be selling at a discount to what you paid for it. And there's going to be investors out there who are poised and who have capital to be able to buy that deal and to be able to make money on that deal long term. Yeah. And, and you know, overcoming fear, we talk about taking risk, but really it's about taking calculated risks. Right. And the way you can take calculated risks is if you have the skills, if you have the knowledge. And so building that foundation is so important. Absolutely. What's your favorite uh, book? I think you, you touched on it a little bit, but what's your favorite book and and why, you know, what book would you recommend? My favorite book is the one that I haven't written yet. So I'll share with you the title. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll share a couple others, but the concept, since it's the wealth blueprint, I'm going to really try to rip down wealth creation in hopefully a minute or less. I've got this idea, Jake and I, it's called the baby money soldiers. And, and people may think, what's a baby money soldier? Just take a dollar bill out of your pocket. There's a dollar bill. That's a baby money soldier. Every dollar that comes into your life is a baby money soldier. How you allocate and how you use that baby money soldier will determine how wealthy you become. Now, what has been happening last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, you can use them for operating expenses, your lifestyle, right? You can use them for luxuries. You can use them to invest. You can use them as charity. You can use them for education. But if you kill your baby money soldiers by buying luxuries and by spending too much on your on yourself personally, those baby money soldiers can't procreate. They, they can't create more baby money soldiers. So what I've seen over the last 15 years, I've gotten a lot of baby money soldiers in my life like everyone else. It's not how many you make, it's how you spend them. I've bought a deal. That deal is there. Those baby money soldiers are working. Is your money working hard for you or are you working hard for your money? All of a sudden, 18 months later on our very first deal, we refinanced out $164,000 worth of baby money soldiers. What did we do? We didn't go buy a car. We bought that into the next deal and into the next deal. And we've been able to refinance out over $20 million of baby money soldiers. They've continued to go into more deals. It becomes the snowball effect where all of a sudden your baby money soldiers continue to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And the wealthy live off of the procreation of their baby money soldiers. They don't kill them early on. They want to continue to let those baby money soldiers grow. It's really great when you buy a deal and you sell it and you make a big profit. What do you do with that profit? Anyone who's creating wealth is going to reinvest it. Now, I'm not saying not enjoy it, but understand if you're 34 years old and you're trying to create wealth and you're making 100 grand a year and you've got 20 grand left over and you spend 10 to go on a vacation, you've only got 10 left to have those baby money soldiers work. 
that to me is the is the absolute key to creating wealth. Understanding money coming in, where it's going out, and you want to make your money work hard for you. Now, does it happen overnight? No. But in the next five years, if you are able to understand the concept, start investing in it. And education is important because those baby money soldiers invested in yourself is really important. And also with baby money soldiers, don't invest them all. Have some on the sidelines. Have some in reserve because you don't want to send all your infantry out because when things are great, you may be paying too much. Or if something happens, a roof leaks, you need to use some of those baby money soldiers. So understanding how to utilize your money, is, to me, is really, it's one of the biggest rules in, in wealth creation. Now, you can choose the vehicle. You can choose whatever you want. That's secondary because I've seen people make money in any venture, whether they're selling, doing crypto, whether they're doing real estate, whether they're doing businesses, putting money into whole life insurance is another great way. But understanding how to allocate your resources is really how you're really going to end up creating wealth, in my opinion. Uh, and that's, that's fantastic. It's like, you know, how do you be, uh, once you have a strategy, once you have the knowledge, how are you impatient like with investing and putting out the money but being patient with getting the results right yeah. like not check not like taking the seed out every 10 seconds <laughs> to see if there's a tree yeah. yet right it's not so, gestation right yes let it let it build yes and that's that's a that's a great question to ask anyone listening should you quit your w2 early and go into real estate as soon as possible that's a hard question to answer because you're killing your baby money soldiers from your job if you're making money in real estate as a quote unquote side hustle, which I think is probably your whatever hustle you want to call it, the money you're making in that real estate can go into the next deal. Whereas your W-2 is funding your lifestyle, is paying those bills. So don't be too premature and listen to the gurus to say, burn the boats and go in full time. You can be methodical about it. Continue to work your W-2. And when you can see to yourself, I've invested enough on the real estate side where I can start pulling some money out, but I still want to continue to invest in that business. It's really important to find that balance between the two. That's that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, this is such a fun conversation. As I could just, go on and on. <laughs> um, oh, my book. See, I see we keep going on and on. The two books. I, I forgot to give you books here. Sorry about that. I would say Stephen Covey's Seven Habits is truly, I think, a transformational book for anybody to understand those habits. And I know if you read it the first time, it may not make sense, but go back a couple of years. And obviously, everyone says Napoleon Hill. I think Napoleon Hill's book is just an amazing an amazing book. I think it's just go back and read that. I've read that once a year for the last five or six years. And I, I just think there's so much wisdom in that book. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all your wisdom, Gino. This has been amazing. Where can someone find you? Jake and Gino.com. As you can see from behind me, we've written books, we've done podcasts, we have blogs. And I think my, my passion right now is really teaching students how to invest in real estate. But also we have a show with my wife. Like you guys are so fortunate and blessed to work together. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when they start looking at their values and what, what, how they want to move the needle, I always worked with my wife and we started a podcast three years ago and it's the Julian Gino show. And we don't talk about family enough. We don't talk about relationships enough. We don't talk about communication enough. And I think that's something that I think as spouses working together, it can be really challenging, but what isn't great that isn't hard. I mean, that's the reality and, and how to navigate that is so important and trying to be a role model for that is what I've. I guess I'm trying, I've been trying to do it for the last couple of years and going to continue to do so. Kudos to you guys for working together, having a podcast together and sharing a really, a really big part of your day. And business and family are very similar. Whether you're running a business or you're running a family, same skill set, communication, having rhythms, having core values, having mission statements and involving your kids in, in that business. I mean, you're changing your kids' lives. You're changing everyone's lives who's listening to this podcast. Oh, this is, you know, and it's, 
thank you for saying that, you know, and, and this kind of brings us full circle from where we started the podcast, right? Which is, this is a way, like, how do you break those generational cycles of your relationship with money of, you know, and how you pass those on to your kids. Right. And I think we, we often say the biggest asset that we're creating is this knowledge and the way of thinking that we can pass on to our kids, which which we think is, is amazing. And that that's what you're doing as well. So thank uh, you again for yeah. for taking the time to be here today. We really appreciate it having you. My pleasure. Anytime you guys want to talk real estate, you know my number. Hit me up. And we'll talk real estate. I love it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chino. Don't forget, when you're ready to get serious, you can join us at theinvestoraccelerator.com. It's like getting a thousand episodes worth of information in five days. And it's everything you need to build your actionable plan to financial freedom and making work optional. 